Psalm 119, 9 to 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Young people and old people, let's use this psalm to examine ourselves. Are you guarding your ways according to God's word? Are you seeking the Lord with your whole heart? Are you wandering from God's commandments? Have you stored up God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against him? Do you declare all the rules of God's mouth? Do you delight in the Lord's testimonies as much as in all riches? Do you meditate on his precepts? Do you fix your eyes on his ways? Do you delight in the Lord's statutes? Do you remember God's word? Or have you forgotten about it? None of us have treasured God's word the way that we should. Our lack of appreciation for God's word is one of our sins that has separated us from God. But Jesus treasured God's word And Jesus abided in God's word perfectly with all that he was. And when he died on the cross, Jesus gave to those of us in his church the righteousness that he earned during his life because he rightly treasured God's word the way that all of us should. And on the cross when he died, Jesus became our rebellion against God and his word and he suffered God's wrath meant for all of us who have belittled God's word. And so because of Jesus' work on the cross, everybody who trusts in him for salvation is forgiven and freed from sin. And we can now approach God, we can approach his word joyfully and without fear of condemnation. This is the gospel or the good news of God and it changes the way that we approach the Bible. We don't read God's word because that's what good people do. We don't read God's word because we have to. We read God's word because God has changed our hearts and now we want to know God. We don't don't want to disobey Jesus, we want to obey Jesus because we know that he already obeyed God the Father perfectly in our place. And so we treasure God's word because we treasure God. God is our source of everlasting life and salvation and joy and purpose. And so we abide in every word that God has spoken to us. 
Today we're going to talk about what it means to abide in Jesus and to have his word abide in us. So if you have your Bible, please open to John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. John 15, 1 to 8. Before we read this, let's ask Jesus to help us. Dear Jesus, you are God, and we thank you for showing us God. Thank you for revealing to us who you are and what you're like and what you enjoy. And we thank you for your written word, the Bible. We ask that you would please use it to teach us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please touch us and give us a greater desire today for you and a greater desire for your word. Please satisfy us with your word. Make it like honey to our lips. Please protect us from Satan who would be pleased for us not to glean anything from your word today. We pray this for your glory and for our joy, Jesus. Amen. Let's read John 15, 1 to 8 so that we can see the context here in which Jesus tells us to abide in his word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So at the beginning of verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. And then he goes on to describe the incredible ways that God works in the lives of those who have his word abiding in them. And so the phrase if my words abide in you, is a very important phrase here. So today, let's ask three questions about this phrase, if my words abide in you. First, what does it mean to have Jesus' words abide in us? And second, why does it matter whether Jesus' words abide in us? And third, what are some practical ways to have Jesus' words abide in us? So first... What does it mean to have Jesus' words abide in us? Let's start by defining a few key words. The first word is abide. What does abide mean? Well, to abide means to remain in, to dwell in, to live in. Kind of like you abide in your house. That's your dwelling place. That's where you live. And so in this passage, Jesus tells his followers to have his words live in us. 
to remain in us, to dwell in us. So we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus' words, are his words remaining in me? Is, are his words living in me? Abide means to remain in, to dwell, to live in. And, and since we're talking about abiding in Jesus and having Jesus' words abide in us, what is his word that should be abiding in us? Well, <clears throat> the Gospel of John talks about God's word in at least four different ways. And I, sweet, okay. Got a little slide there to help us see this. Um, in the very first verse of John's Gospel, John writes, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John explains that the word that he's talking about is Jesus, God the Son, who became flesh and dwelt among us on the earth. Jesus is the word of God. It's one of the names of Jesus. He's the word. His name means God saves. That's what Jesus means. God saves. Jesus is the word or the message of God. And if you want to summarize the entire Bible in one word, that word is Jesus. The entire message of Scripture is Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. In his flesh, Jesus embodied the fullness of God, and Jesus showed us God. And Jesus embodied what it looks like to be a perfect person and to completely obey God and to glorify God with our lives. And as the word in flesh... Jesus is God's message of salvation. That all who trust in the word, Jesus, will be saved. Now if you take a step back and take a broader view of John's gospel, you'll see that in this book, the word also refers to the good news or the gospel of Jesus. Okay, So it centers around Jesus. The word is used in this sense in John 15, 3, when Jesus tells the disciples that they've already been made clean by his word. Okay. So the 11 disciples remaining at the Last Supper, Judas already left to betray Jesus, but the remaining 11 disciples had heard Jesus preach the good news of his salvation plan, and, and they believed him, and they were made clean in God's sight. So the word sometimes refers to the gospel, which centers around Jesus, who is the Word of God. Now, if you take a step back a little bit more, you'll see that in John's Gospel, the Word also refers to everything that Jesus taught and preached. Okay, so everything Jesus taught and preached centers around the Gospel, and everything that, uh, and the Gospel centers around Jesus himself. So in all of his teaching and preaching, both private and public, Jesus elaborated on what it means to correctly love God, to rightly love God with our hearts and minds and souls and strength. He elaborated on what it means to correctly love our neighbors as ourselves because there had been a lot of corruption that had happened since the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures had been written and since the law had been given by Moses. And, and so Jesus had to correct it. He interpreted and he helped people interpret and apply the laws correctly through the lens of himself, okay? Because he was God and also because he perfectly fulfilled the law. 
And so Jesus' words sometimes refer to all of the words that he said in his preaching and teaching. And here in verse 7, that's probably what Jesus is most specifically referring to. And if you take one more step back, you'll see that the word sometimes refers to all of Scripture, the entire Bible. And all of Scripture we know is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. And since Jesus is God with the Father and the Holy Spirit, then in one sense, all of Scripture is Jesus' word. And when Jesus was on earth, his written word consisted only of the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And that's why at this Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples that he would bring to their remembrance everything that he said during his ministry so that they could go on and write the New Testament writings. And that's what they did. And the writings of the New Testament were finished near the end of the first century, and God is no longer accepting submissions. It's closed canon. And so we see in John's gospel that this word refers to at least four things, including the entire Bible, which centers around the preaching and teaching of Jesus, which centers around the gospel of Jesus, which centers around Jesus, the word of God. So let's return to our first question. What does it mean to have Jesus' words abide in us? Well, it means to have Jesus, the word, living in us. And it means to have the message of the gospel living in us. And it means to have Jesus' preaching and teaching living in us. And it means to have the words of scripture living in us. So our second question now is, Why does it matter whether Jesus' words abide in us? It's a good question, but um, obviously it matters because Jesus tells us in verse 7 that it matters, but let's go deeper than that. Up to this point in the gospel according to John, Jesus has repeatedly said that it matters whether his word abides in us. Let's look at a few examples. In John 5, 37 to 38, Jesus tells the Pharisees, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So Jesus says here that if God's word doesn't abide in you, then that's because you don't believe Jesus, whom God the Father sent. And then in John 8, 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So if we're abiding in Jesus' word, and if Jesus' word is where our hearts and minds live, then it's because we're truly Jesus' disciples. And then in John 8, 37, Jesus says to the Jews, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So the reason that we rebel against God, the reason that we disobey God is because his word doesn't abide in us. It's, it's not alive in us. Regardless of your race or who your relatives are, if, if Jesus' word isn't alive in you, then it's because you are not alive in Jesus. then John 14, 23, it says that Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus says that God loves and lives inside the person whose heart keeps Jesus' word. 
And then in John 14, 24, Jesus says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus says that the person who does not love God does not abide in God's word. So let's return to our second question. Why does it matter whether Jesus' word abides in us? It matters because Jesus' word abides in the branches that are alive, okay? God's word abides in the branches that bear his fruit. Jesus does not abide in the branches that are dead. The branches that are fruitless don't have Jesus and his word living in them. They're connected to Jesus only through appearance. The, the dead branches might look like they're connected to Jesus. They might listen to, know God, to, to, to God's word. They might know God's word. They might study God's word. But ultimately, it's no use because the dead branches don't believe God's word. The dead branches do not trust in Jesus for life. And according to this passage, the gardener will eventually cut off the dead branches and gather them together and throw them into the fire. That's why it matters. <laughs> whether God's word abides in us because it's the difference between being truly alive and being truly dead. Remember this though, that the quality of your abiding in Jesus' word isn't what saves you. Okay? You can never be saved by your hard work of abiding in Jesus better than everybody else. Your spiritual superiority does not save you. Jesus saves you. Now that being said, one of the evidences that Jesus has saved you is that you abide in Jesus and Jesus' word abides in you. And when we believe that Jesus is the word of God and when we trust his word, the gospel, then he does what we see in verse three. He forgives us, he cleans us in God's sight. He eternally saves us. And that means for the rest of our lives on earth, Jesus speaks to us through his written word that abides in us and that works actively to make us more holy and more loving and more like him in every way. <clears throat> I love what John Piper says about having Jesus' words abide in us. Piper says, Letting the words of Jesus abide in us means that we welcome Jesus into our lives and make room for him to live, not as a silent guest with no opinions or commands, but as an authoritative guest whose opinions matter more to us than anyone else's and whose commands are the law of our life. Christ abiding in us is interchangeable with his words abiding in us because Christ never comes without his authoritative view on things. To have him abiding in us is to have all his views abiding in us. If he abides, his views abide. If he abides, his priorities abide. If he abides, his principles abide. If he abides, his promises abide. If he abides, his commandments abide. In short, if and when Christ abides in us, his words abide in us. And what this means, uh, what that means for letting the words of Jesus abide in us is that we do not just read the Bible and do not just memorize and meditate on the Bible and do not just listen to preaching and teaching from the Bible. It means that we seek the words of Jesus as living words. Words that 
come not in the abstract, but come from the heart and on the lips of a living person whom we love more than any other person in the world. Letting the words of Jesus abide in us is not like memorizing axioms and theorems and algebra and geometry. Piper didn't say algebra, but I threw that one in there for you guys in the front row. It's not even like mulling over wise sayings from ancient teachers. It's not like that because Jesus is alive today. And he does not mean for thinking about his words to replace fellowship with him. He means for musing on his words to be fellowship with him. That's great. So abiding in Jesus and having his words abide in us doesn't merely mean reading the Bible. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. It means that we read Jesus' word to fellowship with him. That's the goal when we read in our Bible. We want to... We want to know God and see God and fellowship with God. And so we let Jesus speak to us authoritatively and tell us what to do. We want to be thinking people. And at the same time, when we open scripture, the words of God, we must realize God is the judge. We don't judge him. He judges us. So we humbly come to the word of God. We want as many of Jesus' words hidden in our hearts as possible. We want to think about Jesus' words. We want to meditate on them day and night. We want to trust Jesus' words. We want to hold them up as the most precious and true words that we've ever heard. And the more that we branches have Jesus' life-giving words abiding in us, the more energized we become, the more healthy we become, the more fruit we bear for God's glory and for our joy. Okay, now let's spend the rest of our time on the third question. What are some practical ways to have Jesus' words abide in us? The reason, you guys know I'm not, I don't preach through the Bible real quickly. Um, The reason this is our third sermon in John 15 and the reason I'm, focusing just on verses three and seven today is because the word of God is extremely important. And for Christians in our generation and moving forward, probably the most important thing that we're ever gonna do is to hold up the word of God in a world that does not value the word of God. And we have to understand it and read it correctly because it's being warped left and right all over the place. It's one of Satan's favorite things to do. So the word must be preached correctly and must be read correctly because people's lives are at stake. (laughs) Your lives are at stake. My life's at stake. It's the difference between being dead to God and being alive to God. So let's look at some practical ways that Scripture gives to us about how to abide in the word. Let's start with Psalm 1, 1 to 2. Many of you know this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Remember that. When people make fun of you for loving God and loving the word, just remember that. In God's view, it's not those people who are blessed. Blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. 
Blessed is the person who, de- who meditates on the word day and night. The beginning of verse two says that the blessed man's delight, what delights him, what brings him joy is the law of the Lord. And I, who delights in a law? <laughs> I don't think you can delight in God's law unless God is what delights you. And I don't think God will delight you until he saves you from your sin. And you won't be saved from your sin if you don't believe that Jesus is God and that you need him to be your savior. And so if Jesus isn't your savior, but you want him to be, be, then pray to him and ask him to be. Ask God to give you faith to trust in him and his gospel. Maybe you're a person who just really, I know, there's some, some of us have the gift of faith. Some of us don't. Some of us <clears throat> maybe use that as an excuse to not come to God. I, all I know is this. If, you, if you're not a believer, but you at least think maybe God exists, then pray to God and ask him to give you evidence and faith that he exists. Okay. Many people, I know, again, it, we want to be thinking people, and that's good. We should be thinking people. Christians should seek to be the smartest people in the world. <laughs> we really should, I, I believe, to honor God with our minds. And at the same time, recognize that it isn't knowledge or human wisdom that saves. It's Jesus that saves and so for non-Christians, this is one thing I would encourage you. Yes, look at evidence. Look for why the Bible is true. Look at, examine Christianity. But at the end of the day, know this. When you get the hundred questions that you have about God checked off, that doesn't mean you're going to believe. I've sat with so many people who say, if I just could see this happen, if I just knew this, I know I would believe. But you have to know that this is, you're saying exactly what the people said in Jesus' day who lived with Jesus in the flesh. They said, just show us a miracle and we'll believe. And Jesus was with them. So, ask God for faith. He's given you everything you need to trust in him and to know him. And this goes for all of us. We all need to pray to God and ask him to give us delight in him. Ask him, God, will you make me more joyful in you again? Will you restore to me that fire for you that I once had? We need God's help to do this. We need God's help to enjoy him because this is what happens. We live, we are still sinners. We still live in a sinful world and the sin just totally muddies our view of God. And we need him to wipe it off. We need to keep confessing sin and being purified from our sin. And so if you want to know God, if you want him to save you, then ask him to save you. If you want to delight in God so that you can delight in his word, then ask him to give you delight. And then in the second half of Psalm 1, verse 2, we read that the blessed man meditates on God's law. This is what he does. He, he meditates on it day and night. And so to meditate on God's law or his word means to keep thinking about it, to mull it over. Think about each of the words in the sentence. This is one of the things I love because you can do this no matter what your job is, okay? You know, 
yeah, you got to be think, concentrating on things sometimes, but you can always be meditating on God's word. Uh, you can think about what a verse means and what it doesn't mean. Think about what you read in your Bible this morning. Think about what the verse says about, what does it say about God? What does this say about me? Fill your mind with God's word and meditate it on the morning. This is what it says. In the morning, at lunchtime, in the afternoon, in the evening, at bedtime, in the middle of the night. This is one thing I'm learning, I'll just tell you. I, and I say this a lot because I'm preaching to myself, but you don't have to, li- don't limit God to your 15 minutes in the morning or whatever that is. That's like, oh, your Bible's next to your bed. Great. Why isn't your Bible in your living room? <laughs> Why isn't there a Bible in the kitchen? Why? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like God's, it's not like he's just, oh, he's only here for this 15-minute appointment. He's here, it's day and night. I mean, this is, this is awesome. Now, as a side note, let me just talk about meditation for a second. Because it is important to distinguish between Christian meditation and meditation of Eastern religions or New Age religions. In Eastern and New Age religions, the purpose of meditation is to get rid of your thoughts. Okay? You're trying to empty your mind of all thoughts, except perhaps uh, some people will uh, repeat a mantra or focus on an image that over time um, they, they hope will mystically give a person enlightenment or free them from their burdens. Christian meditation is different in that the goal is not to empty your mind, but to fill your mind with God's thoughts. I don't know about you, but when my mind is empty, that's when I'm most a target for Satan. (laughs) That's when he wants to put his thoughts in my mind. And so what I need to do is not empty my mind, but fill my mind actively with God's thoughts. So the purpose of Christian meditation is to be made holy by God's word. And uh, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it and to apply the word to to our lives. And, And when we do this, we're abiding in Jesus and his word is abiding in us. Okay, let's look at another passage with some more practical ideas. Psalm 119, 10 to 11 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So is God's word stored up in our hearts? Take small pieces of God's word and store them inside your heart. Memorize the words, memorize the phrases, the the sentences of God's word, it will help you, it says, not to sin. It will prune you so that you can bear more fruit for God's glory in your life. And a word for parents, more important than simply having our kids memorizing Bible verses is to have them understand the verses so that they can then store them in their hearts. So what that means is you, we need to sit down and define words together because the Bible uses some big words and if we don't know what those words mean, then, then we can look them up or talk to a friend or um, get a Bible that can explain those words. But we need to converse about verses together with our kids. And when we understand what God's word means, then we can celebrate it. And that really helps us to internalize it. Um, you guys remember this guy? I can't remember his name, but we had this guy come a few years ago who would recite whole books of the Bible at a time and he said one of the big differences he does is he doesn't try to memorize it. He internalizes it, meaning he's thinking about those words as he says them 
and he's applying them to his heart. It's amazing. It sticks with him. Now, <laughs> parents, let us as a church help you hide your, uh, the, the word in your kids' hearts. The, the church cannot replace you as a spiritual leader of your family, but we can help you with your kids. So bring your kids to Sunday school and they'll hear the word. And man, we have an incredible junior church program. We do. Where the kids are going through all of the Bible in three years. And they're learning it the same way that Jesus taught it, by looking at it through the lens of the gospel. Those are some great tools. Another really practical passage about how to have God's word abide in us is is Deuteronomy 6, 7 to 9, which many of you know. It's the Shema, which says, You shall teach God's words diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so... We abide in God's words not only through meditating on it, not only through storing it in our hearts, but also through talking about God's word with family and with friends and with neighbors. And this means that we talk to one another about what we're reading in the Bible and what passages are encouraging us right now and what passages are challenging to us and what passages we don't really understand. And then we look for answers together. We're on this journey together. And we have to be intentional about this. That's why Deuteronomy 6, 7 says that we have to teach and talk about God's word diligently, intentionally. And this passage says that the right time to do this is all the time. (laughs) It says when you're sitting at home, when you're out for a walk, when you're driving to work, when you're out running errands, when you're going to bed, when you wake up and start your day, wherever you go, whenever you're awake is the right time to abide in God's word. So this means that you're gonna need God's word with you wherever you go. And so keep copies of the Bible wherever you go, in your car, at home, at the office, and so on, uh, on your phone. And I know a lot of us have the Bible on our phones, but I still encourage people to have hard copies of the Bible around because, yeah, your Bible's on your phone, but it's probably one of a hundred different apps on your phone. And unless it's in your face, you're not gonna be thinking about the Bible. But if you have a hard copy around, you're gonna remember. That's what's more important. That's what makes that app different than all the other apps. That's worth having a physical copy around of. When I was a teenager, I used to... uh, keep one of those little Gideon's Bibles in my backpack, and it's amazing how much spare time you actually have when you're just waiting for people or you're in study hall or, or whatever, and I would just read a little bit whenever I could. We spend a lot of time waiting on things in our lives, and we want to redeem that time for the glory of God, you know, waiting in the doctor's office, waiting in the parking lot, waiting on our food at the restaurant, and And instead of always reading the news on the phone or always checking Facebook on our phone, why not use some of that time to read the Bible, right? It's a great way to abide in Jesus during the day. Another command in Deuteronomy 6 is to put up God's word where we'll see it. That's what he says. So why wouldn't we want to have God's word posted 
around us where we'll see it. Got it up here on the walls. I love it. Uh, you can write scriptures on a whiteboard in your kitchen or on post-it notes or you can put it on your uh, index cards and tape them to the bathroom mirror. You can put scripture on the wallpaper on your phone. You can put scripture up in your office at work. I believe that's still legal. There are lots of places to put up scripture where we'll see it. And my guess is that many of us here do have quiet times during the week. Maybe somebody taught us that to have a concentrated 30 minutes of time in the word and prayer, and that's great, and I encourage you to do that. And, find this, and this is, as a teenager, this is how I, I started doing this when I was in eighth grade. And it's not too complicated. Basically, you find a time and place that works for you to be alone with God without interruptions from your family or phone or television. For me, it was right after school, and I went down in the basement, and I was the only person there, and I sat in a beanbag, and I spent about 30 minutes. And if you've never done this before, you, you can start by picking one book of the Bible, maybe one book in the New Testament, and read 10 or 15 verses. That's it. And just read 10 verses, 15 verses, and then read them again. And then read them again. And underline words and circle phrases that stick out to you. And write down thoughts and questions that you have, either in the, the margin or on a piece of paper. And, and after you've read the verses a few times, because a lot of times we just read. It's like, this is why reading comprehension matters. You have to re- so what is it saying, right? Part of the reason we preach really slowly here is because the Bible is full of a lot of truth. It's rich. And so you don't have to read slowly, but it's sure helpful to do that at times. And after you've read the verses a few times, spend some time just being quiet and praying to God and thanking God for what you just read. And and then ask God, Lord, I don't understand everything in this passage. And some of this I know... I do understand that some of this is really convicting to me right now. Please help me, God, to apply this to my life. God will honor you for doing that. He'll bless you. He'll help you. This is his desire. He's the one who put this desire in you. And reading the Bible is that simple. And I, I, I strongly encourage you to read a Bible that you understand. That's a good translation and that has good notes in it. We're very blessed to have... So many Bibles in English. And there's a number of good Bibles out there. The the one I normally recommend is the ESV Study Bible. And there's a copy out there in the lobby if you want to look at that. But in addition to that, read books by solid Christian authors who love God's Word. There are some authors who present themselves as Christians, and, and maybe they are, but they don't love God's Word. You and I don't have much time to read a lot. I don't want to waste my time reading a lot of stuff that doesn't treasure God. I want to be familiar with the opinions of of those who don't. But man, for those who claim Christ, I want to read people who are going to point me to Scripture. Our church has a great resources section on the website. It's just a list of dozens and dozens of books by authors who love God's Word. And check that out. What else do we do? We listen to music. 
So listen to good music that's saturated with God's word. Whatever type of music you listen to, I can almost guarantee there are some Christian musicians out there who play that style of music and who love God's word. And so singing God's word is extremely powerful. This is one of the reasons we are commanded to do it over and over and over in scripture. Because it is one of the best ways to internalize God's word. It is one of the best ways to fight sin, to worship Jesus, and to declare eternal victory over Satan's sin and hell and death through singing God's word. Man, it's amazing just in the past 10 years how much access we have to online sermons and messages during the, you know, by preachers who love God's word. Not preachers who just want to entertain you, but preachers who love the word. I remember, man, 15 years ago, you, just, you have to pay like 250 a tape. And you, they would send you a tape. And I had tapes in my car that I would listen to over and over. Now you get whatever you want for free. Unlimited. You can take full seminary classes and all sorts of stuff for free online. It's amazing. There's a lot of great devotionals out there that, that help you, that will help me. I mean, and this is what I found. The Gospel Project is one of the best devotionals I have seen for adults and teenagers and young uh, children. It's very inexpensive too. So if you're a teenager, I would encourage you to talk to your parents, one of the youth leaders here, and just get a copy of the Gospel Project for Teenagers devotional. And adults do the same thing, <laughs> really. It's really good stuff. And uh, you can talk to Kim or Julie Pierce or me for more info on that. But man, they come up with questions and applications um, specifically for teenagers. If you're a teenager, they tell you what to read and so you're not just randomly flipping through your Bible looking for Something to read. Point is this, whether we're kids or we are teenagers or young adults or we're single or married or parents or grandparents, we should be asking ourselves, how can I saturate my life with the living word of God? How can I remain in God's word all the time and have his words remain in me? How can I experience more of Jesus, more of the life and power of Jesus through his living word? How can I fellowship with Jesus more by keeping his word always in my mind and in my heart? Let's encourage one another as we do this together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for giving us the word. You are the word, God. You are the message, you are the good news of God's salvation for all of us who don't deserve it, and that's all of us. So we trust you, Jesus. You are our Savior. We thank you for that. We thank you for giving us your teachings, and, and thank you for giving us the whole Bible in our language. I thank you for the men and women who worked so hard to preserve it over 2,000 years for us to have, who gave their lives for it, who died at the stake, burned alive to give us these words of yours. Help us to treasure it because it's yours. Put that desire in our hearts, God, and help us to encourage one another and just to have your word on our hearts and, and not just to read it, but to abide in it. Please use your word to sanctify us, God, to make us more holy, to make us like you so that we can experience more joy and freedom and so that you're glorified through it. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.